What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Midweeky, where we are making strength and conditioning not boring anymore. And today we have Coach Mike Boyle coming on the show. Coach, we talked a little bit before, but thank you for coming on. It's truly an honor. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love doing these. Um, the first question, we usually just kind of jump right into a topic, but what has been one of the most freaky athletic things that you've seen in the last week, month, whatever? Oh, I was going to say the last week or month. I don't know if I've seen anything freaky athletic in the last week or month, truthfully. No, when you, every once in a while, when you see the most freaky athletic thing I've ever seen. Carl yeah, Crawford, sure. Let's go with that. The most athletic Crawford, thing you've Crawford, ever seen. Carl Crawford, who played for us at the Red Sox, could do a standing backflip. Okay. Which was, I mean, freaky athletic. He was six, like six one, two thirty, and he had been injured for a while. And, you know, I, I had him training and he was telling me how good he's like, I feel good. I feel good. <laughs> And I was like, that's great that you feel And he walked outside. Like we, our weight room kind of had windows. He walked outside and I'm like, what the hell is Carl doing? And he knocks on the window and I'm looking at him and he had actually had a, he had been coming, rehabbing from a wrist injury. And he just pops a backflip at two thirty, and lands it. And I was like, the part of me, I was like, that was freaking awesome. Like to see a 230 pound grown man, you know, in major league baseball who can do a standing backflip. And then I went out and I was like, please. Don't do that again. He was laughing at me. He was like a, he was a cool guy, but he used to say, I'm, I'm a, like a straight up gangster from Houston, Texas. You know, he was like a real <laughs> character. And uh, he would do flips all the time after that just to freak me out. Cause he was like, you know, he would just be like, yeah, I can do it. Mike said, I haven't been able to do this for a long time. I got to show you how good I feel. Boom. Backflip. I was like, oh God, <laughs> please, please don't miss. So I remember when you took that job after being in the private sector without going into too much detail, how did that whole thing go down for anybody listening that doesn't know to hear a really interesting story, but for maybe any of our listeners that are working in the private sector and want something like that to happen, like how did it all go down? Taking a quick break from the show to tell you about our deal we have going on right now in December. If you sign up for Fundamentals Level 1, you will get one free year at Strength Coach Network. That's right. Sign up for Fundamentals, our 20-hour long-form education course that has information on every topic in strength and conditioning that will make you a better strength coach, regardless of the field that you're in. Not only if you're a strength coach, personal trainer, athletic trainer, physio, this is for you because all the education about progressions, regressions, motor learning, speed, agility, jumps, you name it, we have information in it. So sign up for Fundamentals, get a free year at Strength Coach Network. Click the link down below. Let's get back to the show. It was an interesting story. It, it's, a, it's a situation of why you, you don't burn bridges, why you always treat people right because at one point, our, I'd worked for the Bruins in the 90s and our physical yeah. therapist at, at the Bruins in the 90s at that point was working for the Red Sox and he called me up and said, I need a personal trainer for John Henry, who's owner of the Red Sox. So Forbes 400, like 400 richest men in the world. And um, truthfully, I didn't want to do it. I was like, I don't know. Guys, <laughs> like, you know, whatever, almost 70 years old. And I would have had to drive into Boston. And it was actually pretty funny. I came home and I said to my wife, hey, Scott wants me to train. John Henry, but I don't think I'm going to do it. It's going to be kind of a pain in the ass. And she literally looks at me. She goes, are you kidding? Are you an idiot? <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, you think I should do it? And so I trained him twice a week for about five years. And he, oh. really, like, he got healthy. We were able to fix kind of all of his ailments. And just at one point, he was like, you need to work for the Red Sox. He literally he canceled the session. He brought me. They had had some injury problems. He canceled the session. Brought me up. He was living then in a, a beautiful condo in the city. He sat me down and he with he, he and his wife and he said, you know, he was like, we're not going to train today. We're just going to talk. And I was kind of like, oh, what's this all about? 
and he said, I really need you to work for the Red Sox. We've got, you know, our, our injury situation is, I mean, they had actually had the year, the year before I came in, I think we had 11 of the guys in the 40 man roster who had had postseason surgery. So it's a big number. And, uh, and we talked and I said, I don't know if I can do it. You know, I've got a business, I've got kids. And he basically kind of removed all my obstacles. He said, you know, we can pay you X and you won't have to go on the road. He said, the only thing you have to do is go to spring training and, you know, you can fly back and forth from spring training to, because at that time, my daughter, so my daughter was 12 and she was just starting to play. She was a very good hockey player and she was playing. She still her, played hockey, right? Her, she actually just finished. She finally, she's coaching this year. So last year she played in the women's pro league this year. They kind of merged the leagues and it pushed, you know, she's in the pro level. She's in the lower level. So she kind of got pushed out when they merged the two leagues. But so she played for a long time, but she was just starting to play high school and it was going to be her first year playing high school. And I wanted to see the game. So, uh, but it was just simply a question of taking an opportunity that probably was a little bit inconvenient and something that some people might've said, you know, I can't believe you're going to do this and then doing it and, and doing a good job at it. And then suddenly that turning into another opportunity. So you, it's, it always goes back to, I say, you, you never know who, you know, you never know who you work with. Like we were just talking about, you know, you worked at Harvard with guys that, had worked me. I I actually had met James Frazier, who you worked with at Harvard when he was at Brown. He played for some of my uh, friends who I'd coached with at Boston University, and they said, "Hey, this kid wants to be a strength coach. We're going to send him up to train with you in the summer." So he came up and trained with me during the summer, and then he said, "Hey, I want to be. Uh, this is what I want to do. I'm going to be a strength coach. I know, you know, I'm a I'm a five eleven, two hundred fifty pound D tackle. Probably not a lot of future in the NFL for me." And uh, <laughs> And I still said, a great athlete. Anybody listening right oh, now, Frazier is an unbelievable athlete. Like, yep. He was. Um, yep, absolutely. I mean, he was, you know, he was one of those guys. If he was three inches tall, he would have been in the NFL. But yeah. Uh, but then I sent him to Iowa to work with Chris Doyle. And so, you know, it's always a matter of, I think, developing your network. And we've developed a really, really good network. There are people literally. The Springfield Everywhere. network. Yeah, the, well, the Springfield network. And then, you know, even guys from BU. I mean, my, you know, guys, I mean, the Springfield network is crazy in just in and of itself. But the network that Chris built when he was at Iowa was also crazy. And I always think, you know, Dwayne Carlisle's network. I was Dwayne's college strength coach. So there's all of these kind of crossovers as you go. <clears throat> as you, you talked about that there, the, the internship, and I remember hearing how you guys actually would put interns up for the summer for you guys to be able to work there. Is that something that still happens, or was that just what I remembered yeah, listening to? Uh, no, we did do that one for a while. We actually, at one point, we had bought a house. And I remember we, you saying that. Yeah, and we were housing interns in the house, and then that got to be kind of a pain, and we sold the house. Then we had another friend who had a, um, a big multifamily home. And he had a, actually a girls hockey team, the team that my daughter played for. And he housed the girls during the year there and then didn't have anybody in it during the summer. Everybody went home. So then we rented that place from him for years. And then when he sold that place, we just had gotten tired at that time. I mean, we, you know, a couple of times we had to like evict interns. We, I mean, I had to drive up there one time and get a kid from, uh, I think he was from Ireland, I forget, but I literally had to go in and say, okay, you can't be here. You got to go home. And, and, and it was wasn't far. It was a half hour drive, but I, mean, I had to drive a half hour and go and like knock on the door and be like, "You know, you're supposed to be out of here two weeks ago. You're still here." 
the hockey girls were moving back into the house and he was still living there. Oh man. And, and I, I literally drove him to the train station. I was like, you know, there's a train, get on the train, go somewhere. Like you can't stay here. <laughs> I, and that's kind of what I was going to ask. Like it, it sounded like it came from a really good spot. Like, Hey, let's help these interns out. But like just how logistically that difficult that would be. Yeah. It just, and it, it eventually it got to be more hassle than it was worth. That was really what it, what it came down to. But I think if the same opportunity presented itself, like if I knew somebody in Boston who said, Hey, I can, whatever I rent to students and then, I don't have students, but housing in Boston in the summer is so difficult. That's why whenever anybody asks about the internship, one of the things I always tell them is, yes, but you've got to figure out your housing situation first. And yet we still have, we have had kids from, from, you know, from Brazil. We've had people from Ireland, from England. We've had people from all over the world and they figure it out. They get, I mean, we've had people who've got Airbnbs. We had, we had an Irish kid one time who walked about two miles, three miles every day back and forth. And eventually we started now, like we get them bikes. <laughs> you know, like, we're always yeah. it's like, hey, we'll scrounge up a bike somewhere so you can ride your bike back and forth. This one Irish kid, I remember, he back and forth in the winter in his sneakers and he'd stop and shovel snow. He'd literally knock on people's doors. Very, uh, the, the international kids are, are great, particularly when you are comparing them to their American counterparts. Oh, 100%. I, I remember interning at Harvard with an uh, Irish guy. Gosh, I can't remember his name, but yeah, 100%. And a, another reason why I asked that was any of our listeners that may be our directors and they're thinking of possibly doing that, what, what would be your piece of advice to them? You know, A, do it, not do it. And if you're going to do it, what would be like, hey, make sure you do this? Internships or housing interns? Housing interns, if they're a director, like what would be your I would recommendation? Say do it, if you can do it, the problem is, again, if you're in a university setting, you can't do it unless you can get the university. You can't. Well, I only, I think you'd be really exposing yourself from a liability standpoint. And that, yeah, that's what I was thinking. That you didn't want in terms of now I'm responsible for this person who's living off campus. And I think you could probably facilitate it, but I don't know if you were directly responsible, you'd probably be opening yourself up to some problems that you didn't really want to have. When you were just talking about, you know, the, the, Red Sox wanting you to come in and help out with injuries. I feel like I, I know that I learned the phrase reduce the risk of injury when I was at Iowa. Like we, we never talked about injury reduction, but it was reducing the risk of injury. And I feel like I've heard you talk about that before. We've talked about it on the Cheeky Midweeky. What are your thoughts about it? Is it important? Is it semantics? Like I really want to know what you think. I think about it's it semantics in terms of we used to say injury prevention, and then people started to get well, you can't prevent injuries, and it was like you're right. So I think sometimes you know, particularly now with social media, you're engaging in like the semantic Olympics with people all the time, and so you have to really choose your words. So I said, if you think about injury reduction as a strategy, injury reduction is probably a more realistic term knowing even if we said, Oh, you know, but again, my, my textbook in college was called prevention and care of athletic injuries. That was the name of the book, Klaus and Arnheim. It was the classic athletic training text, but suddenly now someone comes along and again, decides that they're going to be the semantic Olympian champion. And they say, well, you can't prevent injuries. And I'm like, you're right. Maybe, you know, depending on your religious beliefs, God prevents injuries, somebody prevents injuries, but certainly not us. But we do clearly reduce the number and reduce the severity. I, I firmly yeah. believe yeah. that a well-designed strength and conditioning program will keep your, your players in the game. And it, we saw that with the Red Sox. So the first year I was there, we were the last place team. We started the year with 11 guys on the disabled list. 
the next year we went in, we had no postseason surgeries and we won the World Series. So, I mean, if you look at that and say, does that matter? I think it does. Uh, was it just strength and conditioning? Not really, but I think when you when you encompass the whole thing and you look at doing a better job with with warm up, doing a better job, there's there's a lot of things that you've got to do a better job with. But and if you get into you know is is soft tissue work, strength and conditioning? In my mind, it is. But so for us, we're very so. uh, we're very organized, regimented. You know, everybody does soft tissue work. Everybody does static. We static stretch. Everybody static stretches. I think that's one of the biggest bullshit things in. Yeah, you've you've been kind of you've been preaching that for a while now. Well, yeah, I don't. I think people are people are stupid. I mean, you can't not you can't not have watched your guys in physical therapy. You can't not have watched your guys get evaluated. One of the things that I did when I had, particularly when I had my higher level guys who were injured, is I would go to physical therapy with them. I would go to the evaluations, and invariably the physical therapist would say, well, this is too tight, that's too tight, we need to lengthen this, we need to lengthen that. And after a while, I'm, because I was on the no static stretching bandwagon at one point, probably 90s, when that first research came out about static stretching, reducing power, we stopped and we just did dynamic warm-up and our injuries went up and we found that everybody that was injured needed to stretch. And I started to look after a while and I said, if everyone that's injured needs to stretch, maybe if we just stretched, we'd have less injured people. <laughs> It seemed pretty logical to me at the time. And then, again, I always say the research, and I have the, most of my talks that I've done, the research is very non-compelling in terms of static stretching does reduce power output, but it's a very transient loss of power output. So the this research studies, the way they were done was, okay, you know, Justin, I'm going to have you go over and do four vertical jumps, and we're going to get the average of the four. Then I'm going to have you stretch for eight minutes. Then I'm going to send you back over and have you jump again. And that's the study. And when you went over, and I, I would say, if you took anyone in strength and conditioning and said, okay, if I had you jump, then I had you stretch for eight minutes, then I had you jump again, do you think your jump would go down? They'd be like, yeah, probably. But then people replicated that study again. If I said, okay, now warm up for a couple minutes, you know, whatever, let's do some skips, some high knees, you know, knee hugs, whatever we're going to do, and then go back and jump again, you're back. It, it was. It's a transient loss of power. It's not... So the lesson would be maybe don't static stretch before the 100-meter championship in the Olympics. and or then don't stretch for eight minutes. Like. Right. And it don't, but you know what I mean? But, not, but the idea that stretching is bad for you is foolish. But it's also the same. We actually talked in our staff meeting the other day. Everything is Goldilocks and the three bears in terms of, <laughs> You're right. right? You know, there's, there's too hot, there's too cold, there's just right. So if you look at it and say, you know, I, people say, oh, you know, well, you're into stretching, so you do yoga. I'm like, no, I don't want to do an hour of stretching. I don't have time for an hour of stretching. <laughs> for like five minutes, maybe six minutes. You, do you know what I mean? So there's, there's no stretching. There's an hour of yoga. And then there's us in the middle. And I think everything in strength and conditioning is that way in terms of you always look at it. You, you get into sort of the uh, uh, mithridatism, the idea of administering poison. I don't know if you've you ever heard that word, but, you know, it's – Mithridates was a, uh, a king who was afraid of being poisoned, so he would ingest poison every day to develop immunity. That's where it comes from. So this idea of Mithridatism is this idea that you, you take just enough of the poison, and that's what we do as strength and conditioning coaches, right? We're doing things that if you said, well, maybe if we did 1,000 squats, that would be bad. You might end up with patella tendonitis, or you might be so sore you couldn't walk. I don't know what it was, but... Maybe if you did just one rep of bodyweight squat, that wouldn't be very good. 
but we're always trying to figure out, well, what's that? Where's that sweet spot in the middle? You know, is it 30? Is it three sets of 10? Is it 30, but it's five sets of six? Is it, we're, we're constantly searching and then we fight about the magic numbers as opposed to uh, the, the idea that, hey, that's probably going to be pretty good for you. Yeah, no, you talked about that before too with like, I think you called it vaccinating with speed. Like, hey, make sure you're just hitting a little bit of what you need so that way it's, that's nothing that anybody should be overly surprised about in my opinion with, yeah, like you can't, you can't do nothing for eight minutes because hearing you say that I remember in your energy system video, you were talking about like you guys would be on the, the watches looking at their heart rate monitor and they'd actually sit down. And I loved how a coach was watching you. You're like, the coach gave you a hard time. Oh yeah. You guys are sitting down. You're like, you mean the thing that they do when they're on the ice and they go and sit down and then they go really hard and they sit back down. And it was like a, Oh shit moment to that coach. Right. It was, it was exactly that. But it's also that, you know, now we realize you should bend over. You should put your hands on your knees because you approximate your diaphragm better and you're, you're better able to get an inhale and you recover better. Like that's all been proven to this. It, our biggest problem in our field is that we tend to repeat things that we hear without really thinking about them. Without things we hear or fear? Hear. Okay. So somebody tells us something, and then eventually, as with probably lots of things in this world, we start to assume they're true because somebody keeps saying it. And the reality is it may not be. It's like I always, I always go back to, you know, the squat is the king of all lifts. Well, why? Uh, because somebody said so. And I'm like, well, who said so and when? And what was the context of what the statement was? And I had this, this discussion with another strength coach one time, and he was talking about, well, every study shows that squats increase speed and increase strength. And I said, no, every study shows that leg strength does uh-huh. as measured by squats. I said, the test they decided to use to measure lower body strength happened to be a bilateral back squat. The bilateral back squat did not do anything in terms of improving those areas. It was simply the vehicle that that person chose to use to train the quantity. So no one, and that's why it was funny years ago, somebody said to me from a research standpoint, I was critical of research and they said, well, what should you do? I said, you should do more unilateral research and guys have done it. I have studies that guys have sent me in now that are now really good where they looked at split squats and they looked at, you know, the EMG and they compared split squat to, to, bilateral and in every single squat, every single recent study of unilateral to bilateral, unilateral was at least as good, if not better in almost every single study. But the problem was for a long time, no one studied it because the, the comparative was always the squat. The squat was always sort of, well, this is the measuring stick that we're going to use. No, even a lot of times you wouldn't look at studies and there were no studies done on trap bar deadlift. They were all done on squatting. And people say well, that's because there weren't, you know, the trap bar wasn't around until whatever, however many years ago. So it's just, I think um, that's why I've been a big fan of uh, Adam Grant's book, Think Again, mm. because I really, I say to people, we need to always go back and rethink and say, okay, why, what brought us to this point? I use it, and you've probably seen it, the, the illustration, but there's a, uh, a, piece I use in, in a lot of my talks where they, they talk about um, the cannons during World War II and the, uh, the Germans were firing their cannons and they were firing them every 15 seconds. And the Americans were firing theirs every 30 seconds. And the 
American general went back and said, why are we firing every 30 seconds? And the guy said, well, the manual says wait 30 seconds. And he said, well, why though? And so he said to the guy, you know, go back and the guy got a World War I manual and the World War I manual said, fire the cannon and wait 30 seconds. And the, the general said, still, that's not an acceptable answer. I, I understand that it says wait 30 seconds. I want to know why. The guy found a world a Civil War manual and it said, fire the cannon and wait 30 seconds to steady the horses. And, and suddenly you realize, hey, here we are, three wars later, yeah. we're shooting the same cannon. But the reason we're shooting it every 30 seconds is because we were worried about steadying the horses. I said, I think there's a lot of people in strength and conditioning who are waiting to steady the horses. They haven't really, they don't know their history. They haven't looked back and said, why do, again, I was, you know, why do we train bilaterally? It doesn't make any sense at all if you analyze sport. And the, re the reality is it's, it's been proven over time now to be neurologically less efficient. We know that everybody jumps better off one leg. Right. I mean, you, you rarely and people say, well, I, gotta, I know a guy who can dunk better off two legs. I'm like, yeah, there's there's a couple. But generally speaking, if you watch, if you said I'm going to take 100 people and say, touch the basketball rim. 100 people, 90 percent of them are going to be right handed. 90 percent of them are going to run, jump off their left leg and reach up with their right hand. They're all going to do exactly the same thing in their effort to touch the rim. Very few of them are going to walk up under the rim, stand on two legs and then jump up and try to touch it. Right. Because we know our neurological system, but those of us in strength and conditioning are science deniers. And we just look at it and think, oh, I do understand how the neurological system works, but everybody told me that I need to do this on two legs. And I look and think, but why did they tell you to do that? They told you to do that because they were influenced. I always said when I was a kid growing up, bodybuilding, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, that was what was on television. That's what you saw. So if you watched Wide World of Sports, you might see when I was a kid, you might see the world powerlifting championships on wide world of sports. You would definitely see Olympic lifting. Alexiev was on all the time at breaking world records. And you would probably see Arnold Schwarzenegger and you'd probably see the Mr. Olympia contest. But in none of those sports had a unilateral requirement. No. And so, but everything that we did grew out of those sports, but we didn't grow with it. Instead, what we cling, you know, we cling to the idea that, okay, this is, this is the way it's always done. This is the king of all lifts. This is how it's done. You know, people, I was arguing with somebody about box squats the other day and it's like, well, Louis said, and, and God rest his soul, I don't like to speak ill of the dead, but I'm like, just because, yeah, no. just because Louis said it, that doesn't mean that it's true. It just means that he said it. And if you look at what he did again, what he did for his primary career was train powerlifters. Who do things bilateral. Bilateral people, right? Like, so for him to say that this is really important, I would look at it and think for the sport that he was coaching, I would agree with him. Really important. I don't think you're going to get good at the bilateral squat if you're not doing it. But when I look at people and, and I again, I watch video of people playing sports, one thing I notice is that they're on one leg an awful lot of the time. <laughs> so do you know what I mean? I, so I guess I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of lack of thought in our field and a lot of belief. And that belief is based on maybe what the guy who coached me told me mm. or what I did when I was a player and not a lot of real critical thought. And I guess for me, I've been more, I've always been a, a why guy. Like, why, why, like, why? Okay, let's think about this. Let's think about this. And then looking at other people and saying, okay, well, why are they doing that? Does this make sense? And 
I think that's a little bit, um, it's gotten me obviously in trouble at times and it's probably gotten me some fans on the other end. So with, within that same frame, when you went and you, you were the first to, to say, or that I knew of a single leg over bilateral, what I'm kind of beating the horse on now is the power complex versus doing hang power clean or hang cleans just because of if athletes don't have to catch and we did it at Towson for a long time and our guys were still vertical jumping. And I ran a comparison where I knew the kids that didn't want to clean. We finished spring ball. Those kids weren't cleaning. Other kids were, and I'd get kids tapping me like, why, why aren't they doing cleans? I'm like, well, they, a either suck at it. B they have poor wrist mobility and they had a, a surgery or C they just told me they don't want to do it. And they're like, well, I don't really want to do it anymore either. And then when they saw the at vertical jump testing, they were like, Oh shoot, I can still jump really high. Like, so my question is how did you stay positive, keep fighting the good fight for lack of a better term when everybody was like, you're an idiot, right? I think the big part is I truthfully, I didn't care. Because I've never, I've never been in a situation where anybody else's opinion affected my job. So for me, it was like, I don't care, whatever you, you can, you know, call me names on the internet, all you want, make videos about me. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to all of a sudden change my training philosophy. Oh, oh my God, that guy made a mean video about me, called me a pussy on, uh, on YouTube. I think I should go back to two leg squatting. It just, I guess, sorry, I guess I didn't mean other people, but like maybe if your peers, people that you trusted or pe maybe your staff, if your staff was like, Hey Mike, come on, man. Like this, this bilateral squat, like this is really important. Did yeah. that ever come up? Yeah, it did. But I just think I, I, again, I guess I've just always had a little bit of a, a better sense of resolve. I, I jokingly said, I'm, I'm always think I'm right, right up until the moment that I realize I'm wrong. And then I change my mind and I'm right again. So I'm generally wrong for a very short period of time. And, and in this case, the one thing I noticed, because and, and it, I guess the truth is it, it, it happened, it came over a period of time because we went, one, we dropped football. So that got me away from the football coaches. And the, they were the people who were constantly up our ass about how much could somebody squat, how many 500 squats do we have, all that stuff. So suddenly that was gone. Our hockey coach, and we were a perennial contender to be national champs in hockey. All he cared about was, are my guys good? Are we winning? You know, he never looked at me and said, how many guys did X in the weight room? He didn't really, he didn't even get involved, which made life very, very easy for me. And, uh, and we had back pain. And the, the thing that got me was that, and I still remember this kid's actually coaching locally now, but he squatted perfect. He had been with me since he was a kid. He had perfect technique and he still had back pain. And I realized now he had extension oriented back pain and he had extension-oriented back pain because he was such a good, like, quote-unquote, good squatter when you looked at him, like, his position was great. But he was impinging on his facets posteriorly, and that was giving him back pain. But I remember thinking, like, this kid does this perfect. Like, he never does a bad rep. Everything's perfect, yet he still is one of these guys, like, the next day and two days later saying, oh, my God, like, my back always feels like shit. You know, it's tough to skate two days after we squat. We went to front squats, better but not gone. But then when we went to the unilateral stuff, everybody got better. Everybody. Like all of a sudden, I didn't have back pain anymore. And and we were doing, statistically, when we had football, we were averaging about 10% of our guys in the training room getting treatment for low back pain. Of those 10%, probably 8% of them were still squatting. 
but they were in the training room because they had this sort of recurrent low back pain after squat days. And I started to think, what, you know, 10%, 20 guys basically have back problems. And then when I eliminated it with hockey, we went basically to zero. Wow. And I thought, okay. And, and then we started to play with starting to unilateral test. And that, that was when we started to really like all of a sudden the, my eyes really opened because we saw this kind of bilateral deficit thing because suddenly the weights guys were handling. I remember Charlie Coyle is cute place for the Bruins. Now he's been in the NHL for a long time, but he was a freshman. He came in and he split squatted. We did a rear foot elevated split squat test, which we just made the test up. I was like, okay, grab the heaviest dumbbells you think you can do for 10, do as many reps as you can. Cause I just wanted to see, all right, you know, kind of what happens. And he did 120s for 20. And again, it, you know, did it get ugly? Yes. Was the doubt, you know, there's a lot of, you could poke a lot of holes in it, but 120 for 20. I mean, it was 240 for 20. You know, and then if you start trying to think of ratios, okay, so it amounted to 480. You know, if we, if we bilateraled it out, it would be 480 for 20. No chance. Like, I don't know if he could have done a squat at 480, like a single. But, and that's when you start to realize bilaterally, it's like I said, then you go back to the jumping thing. If you think if I can jump, if I can run and jump off one leg and touch the rim, I should be able to run and jump off two legs and do like a crazy helicopter dunk, right? Because I should go twice as high. That's the theory. But no one can, right? Most people can't even get higher off two than they can off one. And you look at that and think, well, how does that work? And he said, well, obviously there's, you know, and then people say, well, it's actually elastic response. People love like, it's like they're constantly trying to poke holes. But the point is, most people can get higher. Then we started to look at vertical jumps and bilateral deficit, vertical jump versus vertical hop. Everybody, we did it with our women's Olympic team in 2010. The average was 20%, meaning a, a girl who had a 25 inch vertical jump was, you know, 14 and 15 right to left and was at 29 versus the, the 25. Every, every single one, the only one who wasn't higher was the highest. We had one girl who had a 30 inch vertical jump and she was 15 and 15. She was perfectly symmetrical. Everybody else. And we had some that were 30% bilateral deficit. But we had very few that were under 20%. And just the, it's like the more you look at it, the more it makes sense. So for us, I was constantly being reinforced. It wasn't like I was looking at it thinking, oh, I think we're wrong. I was, I, that's why I've been looking at this for years and thinking, oh, no, we're right. I'm 100% sure I'm right. I just wish I could get everybody else to understand it. And instead, I mean, I'm still arguing with people about box squatting. This is what we're arguing about. And you're never going to, to kind of get to the point where they could see, kind of see the unilateral light when they're still fighting with me about box squats. Yeah. Amen to that coach. I could talk to you all day, but like I said, I have to run to the gym. I, all right. we'll to, I know this was a short one, but we'll schedule another time and uh, squeeze another half hour in somewhere. Sounds good. Thank you very much, Coach. You have a good rest of the day. Great to connect with you. I appreciate it. Enjoy your uh, your experiment, whatever you're doing at the gym. Appreciate it. Congratulations on making it to the end of the video. Why don't you celebrate by watching more videos just like it? You can also help us on our quest to placate the algorithm gods by liking, sharing, subscribing, and commenting. Thank you.